Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 5th, 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find over a thousand audios for download, for free download. Uh, you'll see a bunch of sites listed there. They all carry the audios. If you find sticking on download, uh, try one of these alternate sites listed there because a lot of folk went to the com at the same time. Uh, and if you want transcripts, they all carry transcripts for prints up as well. And there's transcripts in other languages if you go into Alan Watt Sentin- Sentinel.eu. And remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on guests who are really advertisers and or other affiliates with uh, selling whatever. I have none either myself. So that way I'm more independent. I've got more of a, a free hand to comment on different things, too. If you take on a lot of big advertisers, then you've got to worry about what you say about certain topics. So... If you want to keep me going, you can help me by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or you can donate. It's up to you, but uh, they're certainly definitely appreciated in these austere times as we go into quantitative easing, which is really just inflation and eventually, of course, maybe even hyperinflation if the big boys get their way. From the US to Canada, remember you can use a personal check to order. You'll find out how to do it on cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And you can also use an international postal money order from your post office, or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. But as I mentioned so many times before, we're living through a script for those who don't understand it, and you have to go into the website to start to pick up the pieces of information scattered over the last hundred years from big organizations all working together with a central head and a strategy to bring in this global society, not just for the public's sake. In fact, it's definitely not for the public's sake. It's to bring in a new scientific society, society literally managed by governments and special agencies, Academia is on all on board with it. The big international moneylenders are all on board with it. And they have incredible organizations like the Royal Institute of International Affairs and their sister organizations, the Council on Foreign Relations, across the whole world in every country, putting in presidents and prime ministers. And they've been doing that for a 100 years, for those who don't know. So help yourself to, to those because you can't understand what's happening now if you don't understand the whys of it in the past and you'd understand, too, nothing was left out of this big plan, including the destruction of the family units, the destruction of cultures, because cultures, they said, made people nationalistic. Therefore, you'd have to get an international culture. But first, you must destroy, to utter debasement, what was left of any national culture. And that's been awfully, awfully successful uh, across the first world countries. And the, the, into the hands of Hollywood, of course, came a lot of money, 
and lots of the right kind of scripts to bring this about because the children watch this, they parrot what they see and they're taught it in school as well that this is the new. They really are taught that somehow they're themselves. How silly is it? can it be? Eh? You're a child but you're taught that somehow you're leading the world, your generation. What a joke. People who are rather old in tweed suits rule the world and give you these, uh, these particular uh, things to follow. All of your culture, music, uh, movies, even the games that you play, because it's all a big part of it too. Nothing, nothing is left out. Nothing at all. And games are very important because the Pentagon's admitted that many times, that they can actually predict the next generation by the types of games which they give them, and then watch how it follows through in the cultural itself, and it's awfully, awfully um, accurate. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and and we are living through a script. Uh, As I say, the the books have been churned out for a hundred years, very boring stuff by bureaucrats who've been employed for their lifetimes, in fact, generations of them, going over the whole script and helping bring in the future. And the big players said a hundred years ago they'd have to bring in academia. Uh, So that's because you get the children very young, you see, and the future leaders as well. So you want the initial indoctrination to have taken on them for the changes which they will witness in their lifetime. And most of them are, most of them actually are cultural changes. Most revolutions are actually within the culture itself. And it's so interesting to watch and compare the Communist Manifesto uh, with what's actually happened. You'll find it's all been done pretty well. And you would ask yourself, why, why would the capitalists, the big boys with the cash, uh, the international money lenders, why would they want that? Well, they love it because they want an organized planned society. Remember, the first economists were also the bankers, the guys who dealt with the cash, populations, payments, and so on. They had to know how many people would be born in the next generation to pay off the debts that they would incur through these same bankers. So they've never let it go, you see, and they still run the system that way. That's why, for instance, they bring in such massive immigration to countries like Britain, partly, as as Tony Blair and his pal said, to destroy the culture of Britain forever. That was in the national media over there. That was the re- part of the reason of it. And another reason they gave to the public was that they'd have to bring in more young people to pay off the national debt. So sink the country to pay off the national debt, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because a little place like Britain, is, is I'm surprised it's still standing and not just sinking under the water with the weight of people on it. But here's an article here to show you how serious they are about immigration, or at least reducing it, or even getting rid of the undesirable ones that get turned away. It says at least 150,000 migrants have been refused permission to stay in the UK, but the authorities do not know how many have left. The watchdog has said, John Vine, chief inspector of the UK border agency, said there's no clear strategy to find out what proportion of this growing number remain in the country illegally. He also said tracking these absconders down and removing them from the country is not seen as a priority for the agency and that there's no clear plan to ensure the cases do not just become another backlog to deal with. So then they go on about what they give you as a percentage of ones that are still in the country. It's probably very low compared to the real statistics since they don't know over the years. They have no idea how many just stay in the country. 
Uh, and this is that's, that shows you that's is an agenda when you get these things happening. It's definitely an agenda. Now, Bosso are living through the time when the big communist system, which turned into the greening system, to use that as an alternate means to bring the big plan through the plan society once again with all the big corporate bankers on top uh, and the Rockefellers, etc., working towards bringing down the population of the whole planet and um, many other agendas on the go at the same time along that path. But it's never enough for them, each agenda that's fulfilled. It's never, never enough. Because, you see, they really have a timetable. They work things out like a big business, and they actually have a timetable to introduce different parts of their agenda, like any big corporation does. And they go on and on about, the oh, we're going to destroy the planet. And what peak oil theory a while back, too, and that's out the window now, too, as you keep discovering more and more oil than ever, ever before. But it doesn't matter, there's always a new crisis coming along to make us give up all our rights to allow this big green system, you see, which is just communist, socialist, to take over the entire system. And mind you, all the corporations are on board because everything's being privatized and they get to take control over everything, all the basics and necessities for human life, water, food, everything. That's what it's about. That's why they're all on board with it. Now, I've mentioned James Dellingpole before, who writes for The Telegraph, and he sometimes takes a little dig at uh, Mon Bayot from another newspaper, who's always going on about, oh my God, this guy's falling, it's falling, it's falling. And it says Mon Bayot's wrong again, and this time it's peak oil, once again peak oil, you see. And it says, here's what he wrote in 2007, this is Mon Bayot. The disasters invoked by the peaking of global oil supplies can be avoided only with a crash program beginning 20 years before it occurs. If some of the estimates in the Department of Energy's report are correct, it's already too late. Remember, two, I think 2006 or, or so, Prince Charles came out and said something similar. We've got four or five months to fix it or we're all doomed. This is the terror techniques that they use. And I've actually read the quotes many times on the air from all the big green parties. They're direct quotes from their own speeches and papers where they say that they always have to give the public scary scenarios or the public will just ignore them. So they, they give us these kind of horror movie kind of reports and that's meant to terrify us. Mind you, the media goes into action too uh, to make sure that we get the messages and we're all scared uh, silly. And it says here about uh, Monbiot again, he says, here he is, a conspiracy theorizing in 2009. And this is what Monbiot said then. Last week, two whistleblowers from the International Energy Agency alleged that it has deliberately upgraded its estimate of the world's oil supplies in order not to frighten the markets. If the whistleblowers are right, we should be stockpiling ammunition. If we are taken off by surprise, if we have failed to replace oil before the supply peaks, then crashes, then the global economy is stuffed. And then again in 2009, Monbiot said, if we leave it any longer and no politician seems to be taking peak oil seriously, then we're going to see total economic collapse. These are the standard terrifying scenarios that keep popping out there so that we'll give up all our rights and be guided by experts. I mean, right down to your, the way that you live personally in your own home. 
He says, so you might not be unreasonably imagine that uh, were he ever to discover that peak oil threat was nothing to worry about and that there was, m- was more than enough extractable oil to supply our needs for the foreseeable future, the moon bats would be over the moon, right, he says. Wrong. Here's what John Monbiot early declared yesterday, sounding for all the world as if he'd read neither watermelons nor a James Delingpole blog post in his entire life. And it says, peak oil hasn't happened, and it's unlikely to happen for a very long time. And here's a conclusion he drew from this excellent news. There's enough oil on the ground to deep-fry the lot of us, and no obvious means to prevail upon governments and industry to leave it in the ground. Twenty years of efforts to prevent climate breakdown through moral persuasion have failed with the collapse of the multilateral process at Rio de Janeiro last month. The world's most powerful nation is again becoming an oil state, and if the political transformation of its northern neighbor has anything to go by, the results would not be pretty. So he says, is there anything on earth which would ever make George, George uh, Monbiot happy? If the, st- the sun started shining out all the summer, he'd see it as a terrifying portent of the return of global warming. If every child in the land were suddenly given a cute puppy, he'd be reeling against a potential toxoplasmosis epidemic. If eternal world peace were to break out, he'd be warning of the catastrophic population explosion brought about by the lack of war casualties. Needless to say, some of the commentators at Comments Max Free have been ribbing George mercilessly about his latest uh, vault face. So... He's exposing one of the, the usual the sky is falling characters that works for a major newspaper. But that's what you put up with it, and they're incessant with them. There's thousands of them out there. And remember, too, we adapt so quickly, too. Why Why do you have a so-called uh, a greenie working on every newspaper? You're an environmental specialist. What is an environmental specialist? These, these guys read the same papers as you do. They mow the lawn like you do. That's as close to greening as ever get. But, of course, they're, they're dead socialist fanatics. They're dead keen on bringing in this whole controlled society scenario. That's why. And they shouldn't be on newspapers. Now, everybody's going, the US is going through their banking scandal, of course, with the feds and everybody else involved at the top. It's interesting, there's a demont on one side and in Britain they've got a diamond on the other. And it says, members of parliament to vote on banking scandal investigation. Members of parliament, this is a farce, of course, because they won't do it because these guys put these MPs in power. It says MPs are due to vote on whether Parliament or a judge should lead an investigation into the banking scandal, as George Osborne claimed Labour were clearly involved in the episode. The Chancellor said members of former Prime Minister Gordon Brown's administration should answer questions on who knew what and when about lending rate rigging. It comes after ex-Barclays Chief Executive Bob Diamond. He's actually been demoted. They actually had a little joke in our paper to Diamond with a T at the end. Uh, admitted feeling physically ill when he discovered traders had fiddled the key LIBOR rate, as called, but denied he was personally to blame. Well, you couldn't be doing what he's doing without knowing. In fact, the, the Bank of England chief was phoning him all the time and giving him lots of clues and hints, which he preferred not to take. So he blamed a series of unfortunate events for his short departure from the bank as he fended off calls to give up his multi-million pound bonuses. 
he'll, he'll leave, mind you, I think it's $23 million from one bank and about an, same again or more from another bank. So he's, he's not going to be scraping the streets or maybe even sweeping them. Mr. Diamond told the MPs that the Bank of England Deputy Governor Paul Tucker had relayed concerns in Whitehall about Barclays High LIBOR rates to him in an October 2008 phone call. So he ignored them from since 2008 because they're raking in big bucks. They fixed, they, they rigged the whole system. Trillions of dollars across the planet, they rigged it. He said he believed Mr. Tucker was trying to warn him that there are ministers in Whitehall who are hearing that Barclays is always high, and that could lead to the impression that you're not funding yourself. But he told the Treasury Select Committee, my recollection is Paul did not mention who he was referring to, or I would have put it in the notes. Well, he phoned him directly, so this this guy's not, he's this guy's sharp. He's not an idiot. But that's all it takes, you know, at that level. They can actually crash whole countries and leave massive debts across the planet that countries and citizens have to pay off. And all I have to say is, you know, I had no idea. Uh, and out they go with it, with their massive uh, payouts. Isn't that wonderful, folks? This is the equal system, the equal society that you're all working for. You're all slaves, you understand that, to these diamonds and people like that. You know. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Every system and what we call democracy today is basically utterly corrupt because it's a front. Democracy is a front. And I, I just read an article recently about a book that came out by some guy putting out uh, information concerning uh, what tyranny is. I think it was a definition of tyranny. And he used examples like Russia using the word democracy. Well, well, we're all using it. We've been using it all our lives. And, of course, we've never had it. For those who haven't noticed, uh, the airports and, uh, and visiting the U.S. with the TSA and everything, you don't have rights anymore under this tyranny, of course. And, and that's how it really is. At least in China, we've got a bit of the history in China, for those who still read it, and certainly the children won't get that in their schools. It's always a glorious revolution for the people. So the state supposedly is the embodiment of the people, but the state in, in reality is, is just any tyranny like any other, other tyranny. It's like, it's like the British Commonwealth. I mean, everything belongs to the Queen of, you know, of England. The court systems belong to the Queen. It's HM Queens. The, the prisons are HM Queens. And, and all of this kind of stuff. So you always have the farce of democracy and you give the, again, the routine votes every four or five years to stop you having a revolution. And it works awfully well. But here, this one's about China. And it's just the same as everywhere else, as I say. Because you see, dynasties occur when there's massive wealth. And the top psychopaths get to the, to the higher positions because they know how to use their cunning to get up there. And then, of course, they pass the positions on to their children and bring them into the government structure. Uh, that's what's always been happening down through, even with the U.S. Revolution in, in America. They had to, that to try to stamp that out at the very beginning because they were all trying to get their children into taking over government and the reins of power. It hasn't stopped. So dynasties end up ruling the world. 
And it says wealth and power, it's a, it's a family affair. It says in recent years, China's leaders have become increasingly concerned that the public's awareness of the growing wealth gap could lead to social instability. Interesting comment, really. Their leaders are aware, you see, and concerned that the public's awareness of the growing wealth gap could lead to social instability. Every government has to try and keep every dumb, dumb, stupid and content and entertained, you see. So they're actually worried about, I mean, they do a better job than the West because they give us lots of cheap entertainment of a very base nature. It says in Beijing, displays of gratuitous overcompensation are a daily reminder that some people, in keeping with the famous dictum of Deng Xiaoping's, have indeed got rich first. Officials last year even went so far, and listen to this, as to try to suppress ads that promote luxury lifestyles, lest the have-nots, that's all the slave population, be inspired to rise up and storm the local Lamborghini dealership. Perhaps even more troubling for the parties is surgeon scepticism over how such wealth seems to find its way into the hands of officials and their families, not to mention into those of their beloved Swiss bankers, English boarding schools, and Australian estate agents, because the Chinese are putting their families all over the planet. Particularly galling are the reports about the great number of officials who have taken to what's called working naked. That's to say many officials are working in China, while their wives, children, and presumably a chunk of the motherland's money has taken, uh, has taken residence overseas. A report re- released last year estimated that as much as $120 billion may have been transferred abroad by corrupt officials. The Chinese media have been given greater freedom to report on corruption and the financial shenanigans of large companies of late, which makes all the more striking that reporting on the business activities of the Central Committee's wives and offspring is still strictly forbidden. An exception can be made when one of the select few falls from grace. Earlier this year, after Bo Zilla, a rising star, was cashiered from his position as the Communist Party's Secretary of Chongqing, Authorities became notably less rigorous in censoring microblogs about his family, though to this day his case remains a taboo subject in the state media. Although formal charges against him have yet to be announced, plenty of stories have emerged in the foreign press about the almost unbelievably twisted business, de- business dealings of Mr. Bo's wife, Gu Kele. In those reports, Ms. Gu, uh, a lawyer by training and the daughter of a PLA general, has been accused of stashing assets overseas finangling a spot for her son at the Harrow School, having affairs with two of the foreign gentlemen, Neil Haywood and Patrick de Villiers, who helped her to arrange all of this land. And when these economic and romantic entanglements became too sticky, orchestrating and personally supervising the November 2011 murder of one of them in a Chongqing hotel. So she would go places if she was over in the States. And she'd been all the, the big magazines, you know. So you understand nothing. It's, it's the same the world over when greed is allowed to really go for everything it wants. And, and that's why I've got this massive. Everything is corrupt today. Because, you see, you understand in China, they have no real national religion. Communism, communism for 60 years or more has been, even more than that, has been its national religion. And a lot of superstitious stuff, you know, but uh, that's about it, like good luck and all these kind of things. But they have nothing to fall back for, for, for a faith with uh, rules or common rules that they can all follow. But uh, the guise of communism, of course, uh, under the state is, is wearing awfully thin. So it's the best capitalist communist system ever devised for keeping millions and millions of workers working for peanut wages. 
And, of course, we're all buying it all through free trade because the big bankers love it and the, and the big corporations bring it into you and put you all out of work. <laughs> Wonderful system, eh? And this article, this next one is about scientific papers. Now, scientific papers are, are, are all to do with theories generally and supposed studies. We'll touch on that after this, these messages. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about scientific papers and how they're often fudged. A few years ago, the CBC Canada did a good documentary. Uh, they interviewed various professional writers. All they do is write good reports for pharma, big pharma companies. Uh, and uh, they don't admit any dangerous stuff and always play up any nice stuff and fabricate a lot of the nice stuff, in fact, to get the pills uh, out there and sold to the general public. Big, big money, you see. And it's the same in a lot of these. Uh, or all, these all big pharmas do this. They know the ones to, go, to approach who will get them fantastic write-ups, you see. Because we're living in a corrupt time, that's as simple as that. But this article says scientific papers are faked sometimes. That's obviously dangerous, especially when the researcher works for the pharmaceutical industry or has a clear agenda. But we've never seen anything quite like this. A Japanese anesthesiologist named Yoshitake Fuji has been found to have fabricated 172 papers over the course of 19 years. Now, no one noticed, eh? All these peer-reviewed papers, no one noticed, you see? See, we're taught to worship scientists these days because it's their place religion and people really do believe everything that scientists tell them. That's tremendous power, that. Like, like the old priests, you see. Anyway, it says, more than even Joachim Bolt, who fabricated 90 of them. As reported by Science Insider, Fuji's work included 126 instances of completely fabricated studies and trials of his other work. Only three papers were proven legitimate. 37 could not be proven either way. Some scientists listed as co-authors on his work were never even consulted, and their signatures were forged. Patients were invented. The whole thing is nuts. You think this is unusual? It's not unusual at all. It says, it's as if someone sat at a desk and wrote a novel about a research idea, wrote a panel set up by the Japanese Society of Anesthesiologists. You can read the report here, and the link is here. I'll put all these links up tonight for you. It says the papers are, aren't of massive uh, public importance, which is partly how they snuck under the radar for so long. Uh, sampled titles, anti-emetic efficacy of low-dose mydosolum in patients undergoing thyroidectomy and low-dose uh, propofil uh, to prevent nausea after and vomiting after laparoscopic surgery. But in other words, these are drugs. These are drugs. And, of course, this pharma would give them uh, cash for promoting these particular drugs in these particular instances. But... Um, that's pretty common, actually, and, and it's time people stop just listening to scientists. Not We're, we're brainwashed with it. There's hardly a, a newscast can come on with it, going to the experts. Like Bertrand Russell says, well, they'll displace all religions and, and all our cultures and bring in the experts, and we'll listen and believe them. And we do. We're taught to believe them. Remember, everything they come out with is basically a theory, like a good guess. 
and they get awards for good guesses, even bad guesses. Now, everybody's probably heard about uh, Arafat. Of course, he died a few years ago. And it says his body could be exhumed in a poisoning row. And uh, says the body of veteran Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat could be exhumed after it emerged that he may have been poisoned. The results of a nine-month investigation commissioned by the broadcaster Al Jazeera found the radioactive substance polonium in items belonging to him. Senior Palestinian official Saeb Erekat called for a probe into Arafat's death. We call for the formation of an international investigation committee modelled on the international investigation committee set up to look into the assassination of former Lebanese Prime Minister uh, Rafik Hariri, he told the AFP news agency. It's not the first one to have had this done to him. Arafat's widow, Suhu Arafat, said she would push for her husband's body to be exhumed so further tests could be carried out. And she rejected a post-mortem examination at the time of the death, but said she wanted one done now in the wake of the lab's findings. She didn't explain why she'd waited nearly eight years to have the belongings, including a toothbrush and a fur hat, tested. French doctors said at the time that Arafat died of a massive brain hemorrhage, weeks after he fell violently ill at his West Bank compound. You know, so don't have, when they're bad guys, they don't have homes, they always call them a compound. Yeah, you, know, you ever noticed that? How the Western media does that? Anyway, he had suffered intestinal inflammation, jaundice, and a blood condition known as disseminated intravascular coagulation, according to French medical records. Now, this, um, I'll put another, I'll put two articles up on that tonight, because there's more information as well about it. But here's an article here. As I say, this guy, it's not the first time this has been used by, um, put this way, an assassination agency, a particular assassination agency. This is poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko. And uh, he's a former officer of the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB and KGB, who fled from court prosecution in Russia and received political asylum in the UK. According to his wife and, and father, he was working for MI6 and MI5 after receiving the asylum. And it goes through his arrival into Britain and so on. And it says on 1st November 2006, Litvinenko suddenly fell ill and was hospitalized. He died three weeks later, becoming the first confirmed victim of lethal polonium-210-induced acute radiation syndrome. According to doctors, Litvinenko's murder represents an ominous landmark, the beginning of an era of nuclear terrorism. So they're using this special hits people uh, for a certain country that gets away with murder. And uh, and this is one of the latest things that they're using. They can put it in your toothpaste. Uh, they can put it in so many things. And all you have to do is get it slipped in uh, to, to the person's house every so often through a servant, whatever. And that's it. You know, it's, that's you. You won't know what hits you. And there'll be a lot more who've died like this. And it hasn't been found out yet. You need a Geiger counter. Who, who in the hospital <laughs> checks every patient with a Geiger counter? Doesn't happen. Now, would you like your mosquitoes in original or genetically engineered form? Uh, science is wonderful as they bring this hell upon us, isn't it? Since we already know about how bad the mosquitoes are, that she bites, awful buzz, dengue fever, malaria. But if the only way to eliminate these bastards was to put your trust in genetically engineered versions, would that be a risk worth taking? And this week's New Yorker Michael Spector writes about that dilemma, about how the solution to mosquitoes is more mosquitoes, or rather a genetically engineered mosquito called the OX513A. That means they've got lots more types as well, you see. Canada's been making them since the 1940s. 
Canada leads the world in breeding special killer mosquitoes for, you know, warfare purposes. And it says, at first glance, the OX513A sounds like a godsend cooked up in Brazilian research facilities. These male human-made mosquitoes have been outfitted with a gene that kills their babies before they can even fly. And they sound pretty great when compared to their non-enhanced targeted versions. The Aedes aegypti mosquito, which can breed in a teaspoonful of water and mate in the dew of spider lilies. But more importantly, pass on dengue fever, one of the most rapidly spreading diseases in the world. Spectre notes, so what could go wrong with hundreds of millions of these genetically engineered insects roaming around and impregnating every female Aedes in sight? As Spectre writes, in fact, it's like nothing else on earth. A winged creature made by man, then released into the wild. Despite the experiment's scientific promise, many people regard the tiny insect as a harbinger of a world where animals are built by nameless scientists, nurtured in beakers, then set loose with consequences, no matter how noble the intention, that are impossible to anticipate or control. This mosquito is Dr. Frankenstein's monster, plain and simple. Helen Wallace, the executive director of the British Environmental Organization Gene Watch, said to open a box and let these man-made creatures fly free is a risk with dangers we haven't begun to contemplate. And I, I disagree with that. I think they know what they'll do, personally. I think they know what they'll do. And that would bring more diseases, especially to first world countries. Because you've got to bring the population down, you know. And here's an article, too, about CO2. As I say, if, if all the gods in history, uh, right back to the ancient Greek gods and before, all came down at once and told us all we're all wrong about CO2, global warming, it wouldn't matter because the agenda was set and the big boys ain't going to turn back on it because there's too much money involved for them to get even more stinking rich than they already are. Germany sells 850,000 European CO2 futures at 8.26 euros on the EEX. So they sold all this, um, it says 850,000 European Union 2012 carbon permit futures at the 8.26 euros, which is $10.37 each, a metric ton in an auction on the European Energy Exchange, AG, according to the Bourses website. The country is selling as many as 21 million tons of spot and 32 million tons of futures contracts in weekly sales as part of its allocation of permits in 2012. The EU's emissions trading system is in its second phase, which runs from 2008 to the end of this year. FEX has also auctioned Phase 2 permits on behalf of the Netherlands and Lithuania and is selling Phase 3 permits for delivery in 2013 for the European Investment Bank. Now, I can remember when the first phase came in, every uh, government gave out these millions and millions of dollars worth of free permits, you see, to get it all started. So they're still doing it yet, by the way. And these guys are making profits when they're given free permits uh, and so much free um, uh, things to trade with. All, the, all these nothings that they trade with are, are simply your cash that they're trading with and making lots of profits in the meantime. Wonderful world, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Now, <laughs> the answer to, to the problems that are caused by the boys with the big agenda is always to bring in the solution, which all the, the problems were to do with in the first place, and they create their problems and give the solution. And Greenspan, of all people, of course, he's a big player still yet. These guys don't retire. They're very important, you see. Greenspan says the Europe is like a leaking boat with holes in it. 
As the former Federal Reserve Chairman today compared Euro to leaking boat and said political consolidation is the only solution to the region's financial crisis. The region is the whole of Europe. All the countries in Europe. That's all it is. It's a, you know, uh, just a consolidation, like a, a business consolidation. That's how they see millions of people in countries. He says the problems in Europe are the fiscal deficits of all the various countries that are involved. Greenspan said in an interview on CNBC television, it's like a leaking boat in which we keep bailing it out. And we're very pleased with ourselves that we've been able to keep bailing it out. The problem is we haven't fixed the holes yet. European leaders in Brussels this week held their 19th summit since the sovereign debt crisis started more than two years ago. Euro-area nations granted immediate respite to to the stressed bond market of Spain and Italy, leaving investors looking to the European Central Bank to provide more lasting relief. To understand, even the Central Bank for Europe, uh, they got that through. Every every part of their agenda, they get through. Because it's just a long-term business plan, it's an agenda. So the only solution to the European crisis is a political consolidation of Europe. Complete political consolidation. I think we're gradually moving in that direction. In fact, I know we are. Greenspan, who's 86, said in the interview, the only issue is, will we ever reach that? Well, of course they'll reach it, because of this only agenda that they have. And uh, he should certainly know, because he's on every board across the world for what's... He's even in that Pacific Relations Board, Greenspan. Big, big players all over the planet doing deals to affect America and Canada and lots and lots of other countries. And nobody even knows about it. Right? They don't even know what's going on. Haven't a clue. But that's how, that's the world that you live in, you see, because you're not supposed to know what's really going on. And, um, here's a nice little funny one too. Um, M6 in, in England, M6 highway, motorway. Toll incident caused by electronic cigarette, please confirm. Armed police responded after reports stated passengers poured, a passenger poured liquid into a smoking plastic bag. Everybody's watching these terrorism, terrorism. Everything's terrorism now, all their dramas and movies. And they're, and they're, they're terrified of anything, anything at all that's slightly out of the ordinary. It never, never occurred to the people on this bus, it's about a bus, going up to the guy and saying, what, is, what are you doing? It never occurred to them. Yep. So it says, armed police responded to a report stated the passenger poured the liquid into a smoking plastic bag. Smoking, it wasn't, it was vapour. So the police officers closed the toll road error to stop a coach in order to investigate reports that a male passenger was seen pouring the liquid into a plastic bag. And further investigation, police found that the vapour coming from a bag in the coach actually contained a health improvement aid for smokers. Luckily, I think 20, uh, co- 20 of these cop things showed up, you know, these special teams. Ready to blow everybody to smithereens with all their machine guns and their bazookas and stuff like that. Luckily no one got killed, eh? So the M6 told, and if they killed everybody, they would actually say there was something really on it. They wouldn't tell you about the smoking thing. They'd have to make it an excuse. The M6 toll road had now been opened and passengers had been placed on another coach. So... These are the crazy incidents you get now as everyone goes into utter panic and fear because of all the dramas and stuff that they watch. And remember, there's none of this happened before 9-11. I mean, absolutely none of it happened before 9-11. Just didn't happen, all this stuff. Didn't happen. People weren't terrified. People weren't getting searched and strip searched all over the place. Didn't happen. Part of the agenda again, eh? But um, that's what you live in, as I say. That's what you're living in. Now, 
The member of the European Parliament, uh, Gerard Batten, stands up for arrested British Constitution Group Chairman Roger Hayes. It's a little video, and you'll hear the member of the European Parliament uh, standing up and uh, bringing this to their attention. No, that does any good in the European Parliament, because European parliamentarians have no power at all, either to make a law or even change a law. It's all done by this commission way at the top of these shadowy characters that no one knows who they even are, most of them. But at least he said something about the fact that this uh, this um, particular Roger Hayes, who, as I say, is the chairman of the British Constitution Group, um, was just simply dragged off one day, tried and in prison all in, the, all in the one day, bang, 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 like that. No one knew, not even his relatives, what was going on. That's the Britain today. And, of course, it's also... Not just Britain, it's, a, it's the US, it's, it's different countries. That's how it's, you see, you're under authoritarianism now. And that's what they said back in the 1970s at the Club of Rome, that they would bring in authoritarianism. Most folk are trained into already, all you need is someone who says that they are an official, or shows you some official badge, or got a little thing stuck, a little pin stuck on them, on their jacket, and, and you, you go into that default mode, you've been trained. For obedience to authority, you see. And, and so you're already under an authoritarian regime because of your own behavior proves it. But really, no one votes these organizations in. They give them no permission to have these organizations. They just suddenly appear, and that's that. A lot of them are private organizations. In fact, in fact, the British police now are privatizing whole chunks of the country to that G-force. A security firm, international security firm, that runs prisons and everything. There aren't a whole bunch of military industrial stuff as well. The privatization of everything. Why would you even bother voting for a nation now that's privatized all its assets, as they call it? They're supposed to represent the people or protect them, and they've sold them all. They've given them away to their pals, the big corporate pals at the top. Lockheed Martin has taken over the nuclear weapons industry for Britain. I've read that article on the air. A private international corporation that does everybody's censuses now in Canada and elsewhere and the States gets sent over to and gets done, including your taxes, in India, but under the auspices of Lockheed Martin. Why would you bother voting for, for your country? Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and getting back to Greenspan. I mean, here he is over yapping about Europe for, on behalf of all the international bankers and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs and uh, the Trilateral Commission and a whole bunch of other organizations he belongs to. And here he is again, as I say, uh, on the Pacific Council. This, what is the Pacific Council? That has popped up as well, set up again by, by the CFR, you see, the guys who really run the world on, on behalf of the bankers. But it says that, what is it? It says the nonpartisan Pacific Council is a premier membership-based international affairs organization focused on policy issues of special resonance on and to the West Coast. Now it talks about their, their different kinds of members, all specialists and professionals and businessmen and so on. The mission says, powerful forces are transforming the world and the place of the United States in it, and the place of the United States in it. 
So the economic and demographic center of gravity is moving west in North America. Extremism is destabilizing international security. That's the U.S.'s war across the world on behalf of other people. And the Cold War's nuclear non-proliferation regime is unraveling. It says international affairs are affected as much by business action as by government policy. Globalization is moving from low-cost production to innovation in emerging markets, exacerbations, social uh, dislocations and political backlashes. Rising demand for energy and control of resources is threatened, uh, threatening not only the global economy, but also the environment and international security. Everything's global, global, global. I've lost count of all the globals is in this. The mission of the Pacific Council that Greenspan is, is one of the heads of. Uh, did you elect Greenspan to do all this and, and, and drive us all in it? Did you? Did any of you give permission? No, of course not. You don't. See, these guys are sort of the parallel government, the ones who tell governments what to do. So their mission is to build a network of globally oriented businesses, civic and government leaders. So they're going to build civic and government leaders for you to elect. You see, those, here's the latest one like this guy. Convening exchanges with global policy makers and opinion leaders, generating fresh ideas, timely research and innovative proposals on the key issues shaping the global agenda, partnering with organizations around the world, that's through their foundations and NGOs, millions of them, to promote mutual understanding and coordinated action, informing policy elites and the public about global challenges and opportunities. And Governance, the Pacific Council on International Policy, is a non-partisan organization headquartered in Los Angeles with members and activities throughout the West Coast of the United States and internationally. They're all, you just heard about that getting signed a couple of weeks ago, and here they are, like they've always been here. Already made for you, because they have been here for a long time. And a few weeks ago is the first time most of you heard of it. The council is governed by a board of directors, co-chaired by the Honorable Mickey Cantor, former U.S. Trade Representative, and the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and Ambassador Robert H. Tuttle, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.K., Gerald D. Green, as President and CEO of the Pacific Council, founded in 1995, it says here, in partnership with the Council on Foreign Relations. You see, it's not in partnership with, it's part of the foreign, Council on Foreign Relations. So, it's a non-profit organization, and I'll put these links up tonight for those who care to even take any interest in it at all, to see who really is making policy for all of you and your children and your children to come, and so on and so on. Because that's how the world really works, folks. You don't vote any of it in at all. In fact, they give you the leaders to, to vote in for. They're bought and paid for and trained, and it doesn't matter what party they're with. From Hamish Masser from Ontario, Canada, as good night to me, your God, your gods, go with you. <laughs>